Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Yanis Varoufakis. Yanis Varoufakis is an economist and politician. He served as the Greek Minister of Finance from January to July 2015. In February 2016, he launched the Democracy in Europe movement, 2025-DM25. Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there. It helps us and we'll read them all out. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app. In this part, we talk about Ukraine and Russia, the war, and a very beautiful letter that uh, that he was sent, that Yanis was sent by Russian people. It's a very moving part of uh, the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Yanis, thank you for joining me on Under the Skin. Well, thank you, Russell. We need to do this. It's, you know, it's a dirty job. Someone's got to do it to talk about Ukraine. We've got to talk about Ukraine. We've got to talk about a new approach to populist politics. You're more experienced than almost anybody uh, what a version of left-wing populism might look like, particularly in success. We have to talk about... Um, like, I'll just tell you, firstly, where, like, you know, what's sort of been going on with me and, like, and my own... Because I feel like it, perhaps it'll give you some sort of different platform because I know this is something you're discussing at length and it falls upon you a lot to discuss this stuff. And thank you again for coming on. I love you coming on. I love you in general. And thanks for coming on for the third time. Um, so, Yanis, right, this is what, like, you know, obviously, like, obviously when there's an invasion of a country, you feel like, oh, God, war, people are going to die, this is so pointless. Then you hear, like, okay, well, what's the history of that region with regard to NATO? Is there a historic claim to certain aspects of Ukrainian territory or populations within Ukraine? Then you hear about, you know, the sort of resource aspect of things, the pipelines and all of that. And, and even um, mumblings and rumours of elements within Ukrainian government that are not favourable or extreme right. You know, some people have said, uh, like all of these elements, none of which mitigates the horror and tragedy of invasion and war. The reason I wanted to speak to you is because I saw a tweet you said where you, where you said, Washington should just pledge not to expand NATO or ever invite, invite Ukraine and Russia should immediately withdraw. Like where you said, like, there, there's a simple thing that perhaps people could get behind. I've heard, like, people particularly on the left, like, and I, I'm really curious about this. It's like there's an existing culture war rubric that wants immediate simplification, that wants villains and victims, that wants pat tropes and trite phrases and things that can be posted on Instagram and as if that is the resolution, that everything is being passed through some like some dumb filter of idiocy. Uh, but I've also heard people like, you know, like on the left saying, Russia is serious, Putin is a serious dude, this could be an imperialist project and Russia could be under the stewardship of a madman. This could be legitimately and genuinely a global threat. So with all that in mind, I hand over the podcast to you, Yanis Varoufakis. See you in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you won't abandon me so quickly. <laughs> Look, uh, first things first. When there is an invasion, we must always take the side 
of the people who are facing troops with direct orders to violate their homes, to bombard their neighborhoods, to destroy the circumstances of their lives. Uh, and I say that um, without any hesitation and unconditionally. This is not something that our Western rulers do. I say this regarding the Ukrainians. When I see Ukrainians in Kharkiv, for instance, putting together uh, a Molotov cocktails by which defend their homes from the advancing Russian tanks, I applaud them. But our rulers applaud them while at the same time, when there is a 15-year-old kid in Kalkidia, in the Palestinian territories, uh, throwing a stone at an advancing bulldozer with the intent to demolish his home, they call him a terrorist. So we make no such uh, distinctions. We support the defenders of their homes, of their neighborhoods, of their communities. So today we stand with Ukraine. Unconditional, no ifs, no buts, no, no conditionalities attached. Um, to help Ukrainians at this very moment in time, we need to apply the same moral compass, universally, making the distinctions between fashionable, deserving victims in the Ukraine and unfashionable victims in Yemen, where only 48 hours ago, I don't know whether you noticed that, Russell, or our viewers noticed it, there were 37 sorties by Saudi Arabian bombers taking out civilians in Yemen. Not in the news, unfashionable victims, who cares about them? Uh, my simple point is that to support the Ukrainian victims of Russian aggression, you have to support the Yemen victims of Saudi aggression. If you don't do that, then you, this is the greatest gift to Putin. Because you know, he says, OK, well, your fashionable victims are unfashionable in Moscow. I don't give a damn about them. And then, then you, you enter a, a relativizing narrative uh, regarding which victims are you know, deserving and which ones are undeserving. Moving on to something else you said, which um, is, you know, a crucial point. Let's forget about our little ideologies at the moment. When there are people who are dying, their circumstances, their situation must prevail and must trump our own little political projects, whether it is my political project, your political project, or NATO's political project. So the question now is, how do you stop the carnage? How do we get the Russian troops to withdraw back to their bases? And how do the Ukrainians get a chance to fight it out amongst each other, not with weapons, but with the power of arguments between the leftists and the rightists, between the communists in the Ukraine and the Nazis? And there are Nazis in Ukraine. This is not a reason to bomb Ukraine. In this country, in my country, at some point, the Nazi organization called Golden Dawn was the third largest party. So what? You bomb Greece because we have the serpent's egg hatching in our midst? No. What you do is you create the circumstances for democratic politics uh, in Greece, in the Ukraine, in Yemen, to fight, you know, Islamist fundamentalism, Nazism, fascism, you know, Boris Johnson, whatever. <laughs> um, so how do we get the Russian troops out of there? NATO is not proposing to invade, uh, and that's a good thing, because if NATO invaded now, 
and in support of the Ukrainians, we would have third world war. Uh, and, you know, climate change wouldn't get a chance. We would have uh, destroyed the planet before climate change was completed. Um, so NATO is not going to go there and support the Ukrainians. Uh, I have a serious moral problem here, Russell, because I think that, you know, I, my heart is when I see the Ukrainian resistance fighters putting up a great struggle and preventing the Russian tanks from entering Kiev, you know, I celebrate with them. But I know who Putin is. Putin is a ruthless killer. He proved that in the early 2000s, when in 2000, when he flattened Grozny, he destroyed a city of 250, 300,000 people in Chechnya, uh, just in order to solidify his hold over the Russian government. Uh, he's perfectly capable of turning, like, like he turned Grozny to, into Dresden, turning Kiev into Dresden. So I shudder to think if he does it. So the more our Ukrainian comrades resist his army, the more likely it is that they, we are going to have that. I'm not suggesting that they should stop resisting. If I were them, I would keep fighting, you know, come what may, even if he flattens the city. But we, from where we are, from the comfort of our, of our own home or studio or whatever, um, we have a moral imperative to try to find a solution, a solution that we could sell to uh, Putin that saves all these tens of, or hundreds of thousands of people in the Ukraine and gives them a chance to breathe and a chance for democracy and a chance for independence. Now, the question is, what is there anything that Putin would buy <laughs> as part of such a deal? And I think there is. I think that Putin is ruthless and a killer and a war criminal, Chechnya, right? <laughs> uh, but he's not dumb. Uh, he's a highly trained strategist for the KGB. He knows that he cannot occupy the Ukraine forever. He knows that he's going to some, have something worse than Vietnam in his hands. He knows that the Russian economy is smaller than the economy of Texas, by the way, in terms of gross domestic product. So no, either smaller than the economy of Texas. Uh, he doesn't have the funds to continue. He, he, he has the funds to continue to do a lot of damage to the Ukrainians, okay, to destroy a whole generation. But he cannot hold Ukraine. And he cannot hold Russia if he continues, you know, along the lines of a modern Afghanistan for five, six, seven, eight years. So he's looking for a way out. And even if he's not looking for a way out today, he will be looking for a way out next week. And what is this way out that we can offer him, which is consistent with the interests of the Ukrainians and the rest of the world? Um, imagine if there was uh, an offer by President Biden, uh, because the European Union doesn't count. They're just the blackies of the, of the US. I mean, they, and we don't have a leadership in the European Union anyway. But Biden could um, have hold a summit with, uh, with uh, Putin and a quid pro quo could emerge. The quid pro quo being very simple. Russia withdraws from, uh, from uh, Ukraine. There is an agreement for the demilitarization of Donbass and the region around the borders between Ukraine and uh, Russia. Uh, there can be some bargaining regarding particular plots of land, Crimea and so on. And both Russia and the United States guarantee the neutrality and independence of Ukraine. Uh, anybody who says that, that all that's giving in to Putin will have to answer, what is the alternative? The alternative is carnage, a prolonged occupation, the div permanent division of the Ukraine in the long run, 
and the toxification of politics both in the Ukraine and in Russia. And allow me to finish. Since you, you gave me the floor, so I'll take advantage of your, your very kind offer. Look, um, amongst all this um, unpleasantness and uh, distress that we all feel, um, I had some fantastic news today. Uh, the Progressive International, which is this body that we set up with Bernie Sanders back in 2018, and now has we have organizations representing something like 200 million people around the world, um, we received uh, a letter signed by several organizations of Russian socialists from Moscow, from St. Petersburg. And allow me to read um, just a few extracts, I won't bore you too much, uh, of what they say. So these are Russians in Russia today, not emigres, in Russia today, taking huge, huge risks, writing this and sending this to us and asking us to publish it. So here we go. We are told, they say, that the opponents of this war are hypocrites and that they stand not against the war, but for the West. This is a lie. This is Russian speaking. We have never been supporters of the United States and its imperialist policies. When Ukrainian troops shelled Donetsk and Luhansk, these are the eastern provinces with quite a few Russian speakers in the Ukraine that uh, were sort of um, annexed, quasi-annexed by Putin in 2014. We were not silent, say the Russians, nor will we be silent now when Kharkov, Kiev and Odessa are being bombed on the orders of Putin and his Kamarilla, his entourage. There are so many reasons to fight against the war. For us, advocates of social justice, equality and freedom, that are especially important. This is an invasion. No threat to the Russian state exists. But go on, I won't bore you reading the whole paragraph. This war produces incalculable disasters for our peoples. Both Ukrainians and Russians are paying for it dearly with their blood. Long after the dust has settled, poverty, inflation and unemployment will affect everyone, and they continue. This war will turn Ukraine into rubble and Russia into a prison. This is Russians speaking. The opposition media have already been shut down in Russia. People are placed behind bars. Soon, Russians will have only one choice, and that is to rise up or prison. This war multiplies all the risks and threats to our country. Russia, they mean. Even Ukrainians, who a week ago sympathized with Russia, are now enlisting in the militia to fight our troops. Finally, fighting for peace is the patriotic duty of every Russian, not only because we are the custodians of the memory of the West War in history, Second World War, when 20 million Russians died, or Soviets, but also because this war threatens the integrity and very existence of Russia. And they finish off with this beautiful paragraph. Putin is seeking to connect his own fate with the fate of our country. If he succeeds, then his inevitable defeat will be the defeat of the entire nation. Then we may indeed face the fate of post-war Germany, occupation, territorial division, the cult of collective guilt. There's only one way to prevent these catastrophes. We ourselves, the men and women of Russia, have to stop this war. This country belongs to us, not to a handful of distraught old men with palaces and yachts. It is time to take it back. Our enemies are not in Kiev and Odessa, but in Moscow. It is time to kick them out. War is not Russia. War is Putin and his regime. That is why we, Russian socialists and communists, are against this criminal war. We want to stop it in order to save Russia. No to intervention, no to dictatorship, no to poverty. Russell, that was the best news I had 
since the beginning of this invasion. Oh. Reading this piece. That's so beautiful, Yanis. If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin from Luminary.